Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 5. That's where we're going to start this evening. And the title of my sermon is, Here Comes the Bride. The formation, the spiritual formation of the end time church. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here we have just an incredible picture of what's going to happen when Jesus returns and wraps up history. There's going to be a celebration like there's never been a celebration before. It's going to be a marriage supper. The marriage of the Lamb will finally have arrived and his wife has made herself ready for that marriage celebration. You know, the Bible often uses the picture of marriage to describe God's relationships with his people. We see this often in the Old Testament. I'll give you a few examples. In Jeremiah 3 verse 14, it says, God is saying, Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 following. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with my people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, if you go to the prophet Hosea, almost the whole story of Hosea is to do with the commandment that God gave that mighty prophet. And the commandment was to go and marry a prostitute called Gomar, and the promise was that Gomor would not be faithful to Hosea as a, as a husband. And what God was basically saying is this, Hosea, you're going to experience what I have experienced with my wife, Israel, the people of God. What's happened to me and what is happening to me is going to be demonstrated in your life as a parable. But you're not going to give up on this prostitute wife because you're going to consistently open your arms to her that she would return to you. What a powerful thing that was. Hosea chapter 2 verse 2. 
Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness between her breasts. That's God speaking about Israel. Again, Hosea 2, 7. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. As, un as unfaithful as Israel, God's people, had been in the Old Testament, God promised to stand by her, and that their husband-wife relationship would be re-established, Hosea 2, 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer me my master. And then Hosea 2, verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. In loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. These are just some examples in the Old Testament where you see that God takes the institution of marriage that he gave as the foundation of human society from the beginning and used it as a mirror of his relationship to his people. He is the husband and we are his wife. We know, if you know the New Testament, you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus is often described as the bridegroom. In fact, he describes himself as that. He says, uh, why, they say to him, why aren't your disciples fasting? Like the Pharisees. And he said, well, they have the bridegroom with them right now. It's party time. It's celebration time. The time will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and at that time, they may fast. We know that Jesus spoke in John chapter 3, verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. That's John the Baptist speaking about being the friend of a bridegroom. But speaking about Jesus as a bridegroom coming to a bride. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul speaking about the Corinthian church who were very much playing uh, the spiritual prostitute at that time to God. And Paul says to them, uh, 2 Corinthians 11:2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. These are just a few scriptures just to show you how embedded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament this idea of Jesus or God or Jesus being the bridegroom and his people, Israel in the Old Testament and the believing church in the New Testament being his bride. So let us go now to one of the most famous passages uh, in the New Testament on marriage and its relationship to describing God's relationship with his people. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is a wonderful passage because it des describes how, as husbands and wives in human marriage, we can learn from God's relationship with his people as husband and also the relationship of the church to Jesus as husband and how these two relationships interplay. So Ephesians chapter 
5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but sh that she should be holy and without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Isn't that an amazing passage? Isn't it wonderful how you see Paul mingling the husband and wife, human husband and wife relationship. It's mingled the description with the relationship between Christ and his church. What we're seeing here, that this is one of the main illustrations and way to understand our relationship as the church with our Saviour Christ, and therefore also as personal individuals in the church, we too should be looking at our personal lives and saying, in what manner is our marriage relationship with Jesus Christ healthy or unhealthy? You know, when you think about weddings, weddings, every Christian wedding is a beautiful parable, prophecy and insight into the relationship that Jesus has with his church. One of the great privileges of being a minister is that you get to officiate at weddings. And uh, of course, on the wedding day, uh, the bride is at her best at her absolute best. Sometimes she's taken months to prepare the dress and the flowers and the, and the dress of the, of, of the bridesmaid. And, and she's been watching her figure. And she's been down the gym. And she's got that dress perfectly measured for her an optimum figure, what that, whatever that might be. And then she's been specially made up and her hair's been done to bring out the best that she can be so that on that day she is the best well, that's the idea, isn't it, that she's ever been. She might reach that best again in later life, but she probably won't surpass it because that's her day. And so we're all waiting for the entrance of the bride, and often that tune played that's in my uh, sermon title, Here Comes the Bride, is play, played. And because you're a minister, uh, you also, not only in, in your own wedding, when you turn and you see your own beautiful bride coming to you, the bridegroom, but when you officiate at uh, uh, wedding ceremonies, you're usually standing at the front next to the bridegroom. 
You're in pride of place with the bridegroom to see the bride appear and to make her entrance up that aisle. And you know, it, it is a wonderful privilege to do. To see the bride appear for the first time and then to look and to see the bridegroom's reaction when he sees that bride. I've, I've, seen, I've seen bridegrooms, their breath has been taken away. I've seen bridegrooms eyes filling up with tears and then that knocks on and I end up, you know, the older you get, the, the, the more emotional you, you get. You can't hold it in. And I, I've, I've, I've had seen the bride in tears, the bridegroom's in tears. I'm in tears and feeling totally inappropriate. Like, who does he think to be in tears? You know, it's not about him. And I've got to quickly get myself back because we're going to move on. And then to see the bride come up and the look and the smiles between the two as he takes their hand and they're, they're ready for marriage. Friends, this is a wonderful parable, a wonderful insight into what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in our lives and in the church corporately. He is at work to prepare the bride for the bridegroom. We saw in 2 Corinthians, Paul understood this. He said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now that jealousy is a jealousy speaking of, of somebody who's, who's courting a girlfriend and, and seeing her being flattered by somebody else's attention. That jealousy rises up. You immediately want to go and take the, the, the woman that you want to be your bride away from any other attentions. And the Corinthians, well, they were getting distracted by all kinds of attentions. And Paul said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why? Because I've promised you to one husband, to Christ. I love that. He's, he's using his paternal sort of caring. It's like I birthed the church here. Uh, when he spoke to the Galatians, he said, I'm going to have to birth you all over again uh, because he was like a mother to them. But here he's like a father that wants to give away the bride. And he's so happy because his bride has chosen the right bridegroom. It's not like some fathers who are a bit sort of wondering about the choice of her daughter. You know what I mean? No, he's so happy that the Corinthian church has chosen Jesus to be their bridegroom. And he's saying, I promised you to him. And the day is coming when this great banquet and celebration that's going to consummate the whole of history and, and, I ha and my job while I'm here is, is to present you a pure virgin to him. You see this note of preparation in Ephesians, don't you? It says that, uh, uh, that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church in verse 25 of Ephesians 6, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having one spot, one wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were a bridegroom and you were standing and you were all dressed up and you were waiting for your bride and she came up with jeans and a t-shirt? <laughs> what would that say about your bride? What would that say about her sense of occasion? And what would that say about what she thought 
about you if you just turned up in a scruffy way? You might say, you know, what, what happened to you? Did you just have a hen night last night? <laughs> or something, you come in from a hen night? And so we have to ask ourselves, as the bride, how much do we value our, our husband, Jesus? And the fact that, that he is arranging our lives and the history of the world to the one consummating point of what we read in Revelation when the wife of the Lamb will be joined in a glorious wedding banquet and celebration. Are we getting ready for that day? You know, last week RT reminded us, because he's taught us of this before, that sanctification, becoming holy or becoming more like Jesus is called the doctrine of um, gratification, not gratification, <laughs> gratitude. I wondered where that came from. That's the opposite. The doctrine of gratitude, it's thank you. It's a recognition, an understanding, a growing understanding of everything that God has done for us and how that makes us feel towards him and the changes that that brings out in our gratefulness. And there's also a note of not only being thankful for what God has done and is doing, but also a note of getting ourselves ready for something that's about to happen. Being prepared for a day that's coming, knowing that our choices and decisions today and tomorrow are, are, are a thank you to God, but also a getting ready, a preparing of the bridal gown, if I could say that, for the day that is awaiting us. We, we see this in Titus chapter 2 or verse 11, a note of this sanctifying for preparing. Titus 2.11 uh, following says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. In this present age, watching for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In other words, there's a living in a present age, there's a gratefulness for the grace of God, but our eyes are on a future event. When we take couples through pre-marriage counselling, one of the things that we say is we say, look, Take your time, because that day is going to be a great day. But remember, with all the preparation that's going to happen the next six to nine months, all that effort, all that preparation that goes into it, and you want everything to be perfect, of course you do. But on that day, don't worry about the little things that might not go perfectly, uh, the flowers that fall off the platform, or, or even your husband forgetting your name. Well, maybe, maybe not that. <laughs> But don't worry about, but on that day, on that day, remember it's all about you two and your love for one another that has brought you to this point. 
There's a note within those six months of preparation for the wedding, the banquet, or whatever celebrations that having, and also preparation in their hearts of marriage, a new experience, a new level of relationship between the two. And we take them through understanding things about communication and what marriage is and how to approach it, with what attitudes. There's a great preparation, or there should be, not just in the event, but in people's hearts and relationship for that marriage day. It's no difference for this marriage day. And the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. You know, it, it's true to say that whenever there is a revival of the work of the Holy Spirit in any extraordinary way, or if the Holy Spirit comes in power consistently for an amount of time upon a group of people, there is always a rising expectation of the return of Jesus. If you look at all these Wesleyan hymns that were written, so many of them have notes of Jesus' second coming, the celebration of the casting of crowns. There's something about the quickening of the Holy Spirit that raises people's expectation of being united with the soon coming King. You know they had it in the New Testament. I mean, they never said that Jesus was going to come in their generation. They never said it, that it was going to ha happen, but they, they had an expectation. The time of the Lord is at hand. There was an excitement that came and that was born of the Holy Spirit that the bridegroom was coming back for the bride. And, and with that expectation came a preparation of the Holy Spirit. People didn't just say, well, who knows? Who knows? We've got time. It doesn't matter. What? The wedding? Oh, the wedding's another three months away. Don't worry. We'll phone the caterers later. Oh, I don't know about the dress. We'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll have a look. We'll have a look on the Saturday beforehand. No, it's getting closer. It's getting closer and it's getting closer. And the bride is needed to be calmed more and more. And the bridegroom needs to up his act and make Make sure he's doing his part. Why? Because the day is coming. There is a concentration of effort and energy because the big day is coming. And when the Holy Spirit works powerfully in people's lives, that expectation arises. That expectation causes by its very excitement and desire and, and looking forward to the return of the coming of the Lord, things begin to change. In people's habits, attitudes, priorities. But it's not enough that the Holy Spirit just come and visit for a while to guarantee that the bride will be ready, like Ephesians is saying, for Christ's coming. I have in my mind just a, an illustration. Uh, there must have been, perhaps, in this illustration, many times when the reviving power of the Holy Spirit came on a group of God's people that, as it were, the people thought that they'd got to the place of readiness for the Lord to return. And in this picture in my mind, I have the church of, of that time where the power of God moved in great ways, almost saying, look, we're ready. We're ready, Lord. We're ready. And, and almost like they're ready now to walk into that final aisle to meet with Jesus for this banquet and revelation. And, they're, and in history, they're just about to walk down into the aisle. And in my mind's eye, I hear the angels sh clutting, shutting the door and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you may think you're ready, 
but you've got to be a bit prettier than that. You've got a few spots, wrinkles there. Do you know what husband you are betrothed to? You can't come half-dressed, half-makeuped. No, there's more maturing that's got to be done, more yielding, more submission, more, more work of the Holy Spirit in your lives and, and hearts before you're ready for us to pray, play. Here comes the bride for the last time. One of, one of the um, pieces of literature that I read over and over again, external from the Bible, actually I listen to it over and over again because I have it on iTunes, one of my favourite pieces of literature is by the great revivalist Jonathan Edwards. And um, it, it's, a, it's a relatively short piece of literature called Religious Affections where he looks back at the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit came and touched people deep in their emotional hearts to cause them to be awakened to the fact that God was real. And he speaks about the good things that happened during that awakening, but also he's very candid about the bad things that happened and the flesh and how the devil also got tried to get in in this work that the Holy Spirit was working. And when he reflects on it, he says something that I found very powerful and disturbing because he gives it in this passage we're going to read a when he looks back and he sees how the enemy got in. And then he describes the picture of the church. And this picture of the church is not a beautiful bride waiting to come to here comes the bride. Listen to this. This was in his own lifetime when he'd seen such an incredible outpouring of the Spirit. He says this. Here most evidently has been the main advantage Satan has had against us. And by this he has foiled us. It is by this means that the daughter of Zion in this land now lies on the ground in such piteous circumstances as we now behold her with her garments rent, her face disfigured, her nakedness exposed, her limbs broken and weltering in the blood of her own wounds, and in no wise able to arise, and this so quickly after her late great joys and hopes. When I hear that in the recording, when I read that, it fills me with a fear. To think of this great awakening where God was pouring out his spirit, where people were holding on uh, to, 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 to the very beams in the church lest they fall into hell, where people were weeping themselves to the altar, finding grace, where great joy was arising, where households were turning to God, all these wonderful things looking like the bride was about to arise in her final form and then reflecting on it. Jonathan Edwards can give this picture of, of someone with bones broken face defigured, blood torn, lying in the gutter. And he can say, and it must have been very hard for him to have experienced such heights and then to also have experienced such loads. You see, the bride that the Holy Spirit is preparing is not just one that has had a visitation where he's touched their attention and got their emotions to focus on God, but this is a mature bride without, without wrinkle, without spot, a glorious church, mature, ready, and, and, and worthy of the Master. When you look at a married couple, 
you do in your mind's eye. You think, you think, well, there's the husband and there's the wife. And are they, are they a, a couple that suit one another? And sometimes you, you see a man and he says, I'm going to introduce you to my wife. And you wonder, what will she be like? And you have this imagination. And sometimes she introduces, he introduces you to your wife. And you look at her and you look at him and you think, how could he have ever have got someone as wonderful as her. She must see things in him that aren't evident to the eye. <laughs> now, we're talking about the bride here in Ephesians. We could learn a lot about husbands and what might, they should be like with the example of Christ, but we're talking about the bride tonight, so we won't be talking about husbands, but brides. But also, it's amazing what honour a bride and a wife can bring to her husband. It's amazing when a husband comes and, and her wife can bring dignity, can bring strength, can, can, can be a, a wonderful supporter to her husband. And, and it's amazing how a, a good wife can honour a husband. And when you see the way a wife is around her husband, the way that she honours him, the, the way that, that, that she, she looks after him, the way that she relates to him, that reflects very powerfully on how you view the husband. The reverse is also true. I mean, we have seen over the years some marvellous ministers, and I'm talking about male ministers, I know there's female ministers, we're talking about the bride, remember, tonight. We've seen some marvellous male ministers make some horrendous wife choices. Well, be careful, because you might be one of them one day. <laughs> and we have seen some remarkable ministers make some terrible wife choices. And as much as they are strong in other areas, that wife, rather than honour them or support them, that wife just, just makes it a whole mess. And some of them that we've seen, different churches, different places in history, some of them are, are out of the ministry right now because of wrong choices. Now, when we, when, well, what is Jesus looking for us? As I, as I bring this to, to land, really, because I just want to give you tonight, really, just an impression of these matters, just an impression so that you understand these things. We are, you are, I am, in preparation for a marriage celebration with Jesus. And the question is, how are we cooperating with the Holy Spirit to make us pure, to make us beautiful for Jesus. It's all about being beautiful. I'm talking about spiritual beauty here. You know, there's, there's something about a wife that is more beautiful than however beautiful they can make themselves on the day. It's a beautiful spirit. It's a beautiful character. It's a beautiful attitude. Something that's beautiful. And what God and Jesus is looking is for the beauty that he's placed deep within us when we're born again to come out so that we can become a beautiful bride. That when Jesus, if you, if you like, turns to see us come up that final aisle, there'll be tears in his eyes. He'll, he will be overcome, perhaps, I think he will, when that church finally arrives, with the beautiful spirit, the beautiful attitude of the bride, his church, coming to see him. And the attitudes are there in Ephesians. Submission, trust, simplicity of heart, 
an obedience that comes from within, an obedience of the heart. The attitudes of Christ in our hearts, beautifying us, preparing us for the day. And you know, that won't just be seen by Jesus on that day, but also it will be seen by the world. There's going to come a moment in time, and it could come sooner rather than later, if we begin to take these things afresh to heart. Where not only will the Spirit say to the world, come to Christ, but the Spirit and the Bride will be giving the invitation, the final invitation to the end time generation, come. And people will see, who don't know the Lord, the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in end time outpouring. But also, they will see the beauty of this wonderful church formed by the fruits of the Holy Spirit, namely love. Love of one another, love of the Master, freed from the entanglements of the world. You know, there is a picture, we're not going into it tonight, there's a picture of the opposite to the Bride of Christ in Revelation. It's called the Whore of Babylon, sells herself to the highest bidder, uh, prostitution. That is the opposite, and, and, John, and John in Revelation says, Come out of her, my people, and beautify yourself. And that final walk down the aisle to the Master, I believe, will be the last few years of history when the potential of the church will be fully realized. But you know, these are just impressions that I've just wanted to give to you tonight for thought. The question is, as we bow our heads in prayer together, before we go into a time of ministry, how are we doing in getting ready for our wedding day with the most beautiful, amazing, strong, caring, loving bridegroom that anybody could ever hope for, who's redeemed us, loved us, and not called us to be his servants, but called us to be his bride. To many on earth, the only, the only Christ they'll ever see is mirrored in his bride. They may not know the bridegroom, but they can know the bride who can tell them and reveal the wonders of their wonderful husband. Let's not say to ourselves that the day of celebration is far off, but let us ask the Holy Spirit to come again in our hearts, personally and corporately, and to excite us about the wedding day. What bride would not be excited about their wedding day? May the Holy Spirit come into our lives and our hearts and bring a fresh excitement and anticipation that only he can bring about the day that we're being prepared for, a great day. May he also work his works of preparation for that day in our lives. May he beautify us in his church. May he sanctify us. May he work deep in our hearts the deep works of the Spirit. Thank God for the touches in our emotions that draw attention towards him. But we pray for a deep maturing and preparing in our lives. In these days of vision, 2020 is one of our, our important words, mature, as well as mobilize and, and multiply. Lord, you're at work in our lives. It's not the first day you're, you're doing this. But Lord, let us see that you're preparing us to be beautiful. 
beautiful on the earth and beautiful with Christ.